with that, let's turn our attention now to Psalm 1, the whole psalm. Uh, We're beginning a new series through book one of the psalms, book one. Um, So as you walk through uh, psalms in your Bible, you'll notice that the book of psalms, which is also called the Psalter, um, is divided into five books. The Psalms were written by various authors over a long period of time, all the way back to Moses till after the Babylonian captivity, a very long amount of time, and different collections of Psalms were put together over that span of many years. And so the five books that we have in the final form of the Psalter uh, seem to reflect those different collections that were um, accumulated over the years. Book 1 of Psalms includes Psalms 1 through 41. These are psalms that are almost exclusively all psalms of David. And so as we interpret the psalms, we're going to be thinking a lot about David's life. And our study in 1 Samuel on Wednesday nights is going to be very helpful in that. Uh, Book 1 especially focuses on David's suffering and how he turned to the Lord for salvation and for hope in the midst of his trouble. For example, David wrote Psalm 3 when he fled from his son Absalom. Psalm 13 famously begins, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David wrote Psalm 34 when he was on the run from King Saul. So one of our prayers as we begin this series through the Psalms is that these Psalms would help us suffer well as we encounter the troubles of life, that these would help us turn to the Lord for hope and deliverance. But while many of the books in, uh, or excuse me, many of the Psalms in book one of the Psalms were written by David, uh, the whole collection, like I said, wasn't finished until much later. And so the Psalter, the Psalms, as we have them, uh, weren't in their final form as these you know, 150 in a single volume until after Israel's return from Babylon. So as we interpret the Psalms, we want to think not just about the circumstances that caused the writing of the Psalms, but also what did the original recipients of the whole Psalter think of this Psalm? How did they read this? What did it mean to them? Uh, what, w- what would it have meant to sing this Psalm looking back on the Babylonian exile. So there's multiple layers that we're going to be looking at as we consider the Psalms, but ultimately, Scripture teaches us that the Psalms are about Jesus. Jesus himself said so in Luke 24, 44, uh, 24 verse 44, the Psalms are about him. And so here's a really critical truth that you need to understand. The Psalms are for you, but the Psalms are not about you. It's often easy as we go to the Psalms to put ourselves in the Psalm. Uh, And and that's not entirely wrong. They are for us, but we need to remember the Psalms are not about us. Ultimately, the Psalms are about Jesus. Jesus said it in Luke 24. Uh, In Acts 2, Peter teaches that David, even at times, wrote Psalms using the word me when he was actually writing about his future descendant, the Christ. Jesus himself sang the Psalms 
He quoted Psalm 22 when he was on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ultimately, our hope is that our study of the book of Psalms would lead us to greater trust in Jesus. That we would find our refuge in him and that we would follow him more faithfully as his disciples. Again, the Psalms are not about you, but they are for you. Well, so as we come to book one, uh, one of the things that we need to recognize is it seems that book one of the Psalms uh, was uh, originally just Psalms 3 through 41, which are mostly Psalms of David. But when the Holy Spirit carried along those who put the Psalter into its final form, he led them to put Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 at the beginning of book 1 and at the beginning of the whole Psalter. Psalm 1 and 2 form their own kind of mini unit, as we'll see. And Psalms 1 and 2 serve as an introduction, not just to book 1, which we're going to be in, but really an introduction to all of the Psalms. So this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the two Psalms that the Holy Spirit decided would set the tone for our reading of all of the Psalms. So with that background in mind, let's look together and read the first Psalm, Psalm 1. And if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. The Holy Spirit says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. When it's going well for the righteous, it's easy to be righteous. It's easy to live according to God's law when it's profitable. It's easy to live according to God's law when it earns you people's respect. It's easy to live according to God's law when it helps you succeed. But what about when the pathway to success seems to require compromising on obeying God's word? What about when the pathway of obeying God's word seems to be not the path of prosperity? It's not so easy to follow the way of the righteous when it costs you. 
It's not so easy to obey God's word when people question you if you do. It's not so easy to stay faithful to the law of the Lord when it causes you to lose opportunities. Well, as I said, book one of the Psalms will show us a lot about the suffering of the righteous. It's the normal experience of the people of God to experience difficulty in this life. Don't come to Jesus if you want your life to get easier. Many Christians find their life didn't get hard until they started following Jesus. And because of that, this this can cause us to doubt if we're really on the path we ought to be on. Am I really walking on the path that I ought to be walking on? I mean, this this is a lot of pain. This is really hard. Is following Jesus worth it? Because I'm following Jesus on this path, and it's hard. Meanwhile, I'm looking at these people going down this other path, and they're like thriving. They're prospering. People are, are praising them. The world is affirming them. They seem happy. And Psalm 1 looks into that scenario and reminds us of what is actually true. It reminds us that there are only two paths that we can choose. We can choose the way of the wicked or we can choose the way of the righteous. And the truth is, however much the righteous may suffer now, in the end, the way of the righteous is the way to eternal prosperity. And however much the wicked may seem to prosper now, in the end, the way of the wicked is the path of eternal perishing. And so I pray that Psalm 1 would convince us that true prosperity is found on the path of the man who delights in God's word. That true prosperity is found on the path of the man who delights in God's word. We're going to look at this psalm in two parts. First, the path of prosperity, and second, the path of perishing. First, the path of prosperity. Psalm 1 begins, blessed is the man. That word blessed is the Hebrew word ashray, which is where the name Asher comes from. We named our son after Psalm 1. Asherah means happy or flourishing or prospering like a tree whose leaf never withers. It's often a word you'll find in wisdom literature like Proverbs. And it, it, it's a signal that says, here's what the good life looks like. You want to know what the good life is? Look at that man. Blessed is the man. He's living the good life. Well, what does this good life look like? The psalm first tells us what the blessed man does not do. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, The blessed man does not take advice from those who break God's law. The blessed man does not want his way of life to resemble the one who lives in sin. 
The blessed man is not comfortable around those who mock God and his law. We may look at someone's life and it seems like they're flourishing, they're popular and wealthy and successful and powerful, but then we take a closer look and we find moral compromise and a disregard for God and his ways. And though it may look like they are prospering, Psalm 1 says, don't be deceived. That is not the good life, and it will not last. Here is the good life. Not walking in the counsel of the wicked, or standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's what the blessed man does not do, but what does the blessed man do? What is the good life? Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That word law is the Hebrew word Torah. And it refers to more than just the rules given by God, or even more than just the first five books of the Old Testament. It refers to the instruction of God, but even more than just the instruction that God gives about what his people should do, It also refers to the history of what God has done. And the blessed man doesn't just know God's law. The blessed man doesn't even just obey God's law. He delights in God's law. He loves to know it inside and out. He finds joy in living according to it. He meditates on the law of the Lord every minute of every day. That word meditate literally means muse or mutter. And the picture is of a man going about his life with the word of God constantly on his lips. Every turn he makes, every situation he finds himself in, the word of God is coming out of his mouth. He walks through life asking, what does God have to say about this? How would God have me respond in this situation? How do I think about this in light of God's goodness to his people in the past? That's the good life. According to Psalm 1, constantly meditating on the law of the Lord. What God says, what God has done. And what is the man who delights in the law of the Lord like? Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. The man who delights in the law of the Lord flourishes like a healthy tree. Uh, And this is not a wild tree. It is one deliberately planted. And it's planted by streams of water. A a term that refers not to naturally occurring streams, but man-made carved out irrigation channels. This is a tree deliberately planted and intentionally given the sustenance it needs The blessed man does not flourish by accident. The blessed man prospers because he plants himself by the law of the Lord. He prospers because he carves out channels through which he can drink in the life-giving waters of God's word. And what is the result? Well, first, fruitfulness. Notice, not year-round, but in the proper season. The blessed man is not guaranteed fruit in every season, just when the time is right. 
But second, longevity. The blessed man is a tree that is evergreen. As Jim Hamilton says, the truths of the Torah sustain him when the leaves of others would wilt. Walking, standing, sitting, delighting constantly in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. This should cause us to ask, who could live like that? Or we could ask it a different way. Who is this blessed man? And let me press into that, because as we're looking at this psalm, it says, blessed is the man. Why only one man? Why blessed is the man who, and not blessed are the people who? Why did Israel need to sing about this one man? Why is the very first subject of the very first psalm in Israel's hymn book about this one man? One man. Well, here's why. Because Psalm 1 is not first and foremost about how Israel was to live. This psalm is first and foremost about the kind of leader that Israel needed. If the people of God are to prosper, the people of God need a leader who prospers. The Old Testament is a story of longing for a leader, a representative who delights in the law of the Lord, who knows it and does it and delights in it. We can go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis begins with the story of a man, the representative of all of humanity. He's in a garden planted by God with the tree of life in the middle, and a river flowing out of it. He's in the presence of God day and night, receiving God's instruction directly, but instead of delighting in the instruction that God gave him, the man gives in to the counsel of the wicked. And instead of living forever, he is driven away and withers. If we fast forward to Deuteronomy we find that God gave instructions to Israel about the leader that they should be looking for. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17. God tells Israel that when they come into the promised land, they're going to want a king. And they're going to want a king like the nations. But they should not appoint a king like the nations. Instead, they should appoint a king of God's choosing. Uh, That king that they were to choose is a king who would not follow the way of the wicked kings and the sinful nations. Instead, God says in Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him. And he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by 
keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Israel needed a king who delighted in the law of the Lord. But even before they had a king, Israel needed a leader who delighted in God's law. Uh, Keep on turning ahead with me to Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, as Israel is preparing to enter the land that God promised them, God said to Joshua in chapter 1 verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Israel needed a leader who meditated on the law of the Lord day and night and knew that that was the path to prosperity. Israel needed to sing Psalm 1 because they needed to remember the kind of leader that God wanted for them. Each Davidic king needed to sing Psalm 1 to to remember the kind of king that he was supposed to be. The congregation needed to sing Psalm 1 to remember the kind of king that they needed. But of course, the history of Israel and Judah is one of a string of kings who failed to live up to Psalm 1. Some had more success than others, and those were the ones who delighted in the law of the Lord more than others. But none of them lived up to Psalm 1 perfectly. By the time all 150 psalms had been written and collected, as the returned exiles sang Psalm 1, they could look back on how king after king who failed to delight in the law of the Lord were responsible for the division of the kingdom and ultimately responsible for leading the people into exile. And so the return to exiles would have sung Psalm 1 longing for a Psalm 1 leader. Longing for the kind of king that they had never truly witnessed in their history. Longing for the kind of king God wanted for them. They would have have sung Psalm 1 longing like they would have sung Psalm 2 longing. Go back with me to the Psalms and look at Psalm 2. In the very last Verse of Psalm 2, Psalm 2 ends like Psalm 1 begins with these bookends of blessing. Look at verse 12 of Psalm 2, that last line, talking about the Son of God. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. They would have sung Psalm 1 longing for the blessed man. They would have been longing for the blessed man who blesses those who find refuge in him. And in Jesus Christ, the son of David, the blessed man has finally arrived. Jesus is the only man never to succumb to the way of the wicked. 
When the devil gave wicked counsel, the blessed man walked not, stood not, sat not. Instead, he delighted in the law of the Lord. And three times in the face of the devil's wicked counsel, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy, saying, for example, in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is the only man ever to delight in the law of the Lord perfectly. He's the second Adam who succeeded where the first Adam failed. He's the Deuteronomy 17 king who keeps God's word and whose kingdom will last forever. He's the Joshua 1-8 leader who will prosper and succeed. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 1. So how do we respond to this? Well, first, delight in the man who delights in the law. Delight in the man who delights in the law. If you and I are to have any hope of prospering, it will not come from our ability to avoid the way of the wicked. If you and I are to have any hope of prospering, it will not come from our ability to delight perfectly in the law of the Lord. It will only come if we first delight in the man who delights in the law, Jesus Christ. We will be blessed, as Psalm 2.12 says, only if we take refuge in the Son of God. He gives us hope of eternal, flourishing, prosperous life. Not based on our performance, but based on His First, or 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like Israel, we will only prosper if we trust in God's anointed king. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So if you want to know the good life of flourishing that Psalm 1 describes, you must take refuge in Jesus. Jesus prayed in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There is no good life apart from the person of Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you to ask yourself this question this morning. What do you want out of Christianity? What do you want out of Christianity? Do you want Christian principles to help you live a happy life? Or do you want the person of Christ as your supreme treasure. Because we cannot know the good life if all we have are principles. We can only know the good life if we have the person, Jesus. We can only know the good life of delighting in the law if we know the man who delights in the law. Eternal life is found only in the person of Jesus. So do you know him? 
Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Is he your king? Do you submit to him as your Lord? Have you found your refuge in him? The good life is only found in the man who delights in the law. And if you have found your refuge in the man who delights in the law, well, then follow the blessed man on the way of the righteous. Jesus invites those who are in him to come with him along this path of prosperity. King Jesus, the king that was promised, the king that the people of Israel were waiting for, King Jesus came and he proclaimed his kingdom. Uh, And he invited his disciples to the way of the kingdom in his inaugural address, the Sermon on the Mount. And he began proclaiming nine times, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he came and he told us he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he described and cast a vision for what the good life looks like. In this life, the good life doesn't look like what you would think. It's for the poor and those who mourn and the meek and those who are persecuted. But in the end, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The good life is found not just in delighting in God's law outwardly through external rule following, Jesus taught, but delighting in the law of the Lord from the heart. That's the good life as Jesus cast the vision for it. And so may we follow the blessed man by delighting in the word of God ourselves. We delight in the word of God by hearing it. Have you carved out for yourself channels through which the word of God can get its life-giving stream into your heart? Made me smile today walking down the hall and seeing our different groups gathered around the Word, gathered around the Bible, hearing, studying, meditating on the Word. Uh, I, I would invite you again to encourage, I would encourage you to be a part of these First Samuel Bible studies, getting the Word of God in you. We delight in the Word of God by hearing it, by carving out channels to get the Word of God into our hearts like an ever-flowing stream. Uh, We delight in the Word of God by meditating on it. Men, our wives and our children need us to follow the Deuteronomy 17 king by being Deuteronomy 6 men. Men who love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and might. Men who have God's words on our heart. Men who teach them diligently to our children, who talk about what God says about life inside the home, outside the home, when we go to bed, when we get up. We delight in the word of God by hearing it, by meditating on it, by also obeying it. Jesus said through the mouth of David in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Do you know the joy of obeying God's word even when it means temporary discomfort? 
Lastly, we delight in the word of God by trusting in it. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 92, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Again, to quote Jim Hamilton, May the truths of the Torah sustain us when the leaves of others would wilt. (coughs) If we have trusted in the blessed man, may we follow him on the way of the righteous and delight in the law of the Lord, the path of true prosperity. That's the path of prosperity, but the psalm doesn't end there. Next, we see the path of perishing, the path of perishing. In contrast to the blessed man who is like a tree whose leaf never withers, the psalmist writes in verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The way of the wicked may look prosperous for a time, It may seem like those who scoff at God are more successful than those who delight in the law of the Lord. But in the end, the wicked are like chaff. Lifeless, useless. Unlike the tree whose leaf never withers and which prospers continually, the wicked are quickly gone. Like chaff blown away by the wind, never seen again. And that's because there is a judgment coming. Verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Those who disobey God's law may stand for a while in this life, but they will not be able to withstand the judgment of God. In the end, God's anointed king will judge all people from all nations. Look again at Psalm 2, starting in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. God's anointed king, Jesus, will separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, and those who rebel against God and his ways will perish. They will receive the wrath of God's Son. They will not be found in the congregation of the righteous. On the other hand, the congregation of the righteous will experience the blessed life of prosperity forever. Not because they have perfectly delighted in the law of the Lord, but because they have taken refuge in the Son, the blessed man. Why will the wicked not stand in the judgment? Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the righteous is the way that is known by the Lord. It is the Lord's way. You know, the way of the righteous is not without difficulty. As we'll see starting in Psalm 3, the way of the righteous is filled with suffering. The way of the righteous is opposed by the wicked. The way of the righteous is hard, but 
the way of the righteous is known by the Lord. That word know doesn't just mean that the Lord is aware of it. Know is a, an intimate word. Some translations say that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. He superintends it. He cares for it. The way of the righteous is the way of the Lord. It's the way of those who delight in him and delight in his law and walk in it and stand in it. But God's knowledge of the way of the righteous goes even beyond just watching over it because Jesus, God in the flesh, knows what it is like to walk as a man on the way of the righteous. Jesus knows the difficulty of the way of the righteous. Jesus knows the opposition that comes on the way of the righteous. Jesus knows the suffering along the way of the righteous. Jesus knows the temptation to turn to the left or to the right off of the way of the righteous. But Jesus shows us that the way of the righteous is the way of eternal, abundant life. On the other hand, the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, doesn't just begin with a vision of the blessed life. And he doesn't just describe what life looks like when we delight in the law of the Lord from our hearts. He also ends the Sermon on the Mount with a warning similar to that of Psalm 1. He describes two ways, an easy way that leads to destruction and a hard way that leads to life. He describes two trees, a healthy tree that bears good fruit and a diseased tree that is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he describes two builders, a wise man whose house stands and a foolish man whose house falls. And the difference between them is the foolish man heard Jesus' words, but didn't do them. The wise man heard them and did them. He delighted in the law of the Lord. And the truth of the gospel is that on our own, we are all on the way of the wicked. None of us deserve to stand in the judgment. None of us deserve to be in the congregation of the righteous. If it were just about what we deserve, the congregation of the righteous should be a congregation of one. We all deserve to perish. But the blessed man took on himself the judgment that we deserve for our wickedness and whoever believes in him will not perish like chaff but will have everlasting abundant flourishing thriving prosperous life in him and because of him by the grace of god the blessed man jesus has made a way to bring us to the way of the righteous the way that the lord knows so, may we turn away from the way of the wicked. Maybe you're going along that way today. Maybe you're going along the way of the wicked, the way of the world. You're doing 
what culture says you ought to do. Uh, you're living your best life, you think. You're being true to yourself. You're enjoying pleasure and success. Do not be deceived. The way that is opposite of the word of God is a way that ends in perishing. The way of doing whatever you want to do is a way that ends in judgment. The way that is easy and the way that is popular is the way that ends in destruction. Turn away from the way of the wicked and turn to Jesus. Follow him. Find refuge in him on the way that the Lord knows. And as we look and we see the wicked seeming to prosper, remember what is true. Remember even when we look at the world and it doesn't look like Psalm 1 is true, remember that Psalm 1 is still true. As you look on the world, you will see people who seem to be prospering. You'll see people making money, people who look happy, people who are affirmed and praised by the world. But they're not delighting in the law of the Lord. And you will be tempted to follow them. Yeah, I know that this isn't ideal, but it seems to work for that guy. Yeah, I know this isn't, you know, how I was raised, but... I want to be true to myself. Yeah, I, I know that ancient book said that I shouldn't do this, but studies show that people who do X, Y, and Z thrive. Don't be deceived. Remember how Satan tempted Jesus with physical satisfaction, praise for man, possessions, power. Those are not signs of prosperity in this life. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Persevere on the way of the righteous, even when it doesn't look like the way of prosperity. For now, it will be hard. For now, it will not look prosperous. For now, it may include suffering and ridicule and pain. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Dustin Kinstrew wrote in his song, Rejoice. All our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. And catch this. He has walked this path before us. He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph. Turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle. So take heart and stand amazed. Remember what is true, even when the world doesn't look like Psalm 1 for now. Because true prosperity is found on the path of the man who delights in God's word. Even when the wicked seem to prosper, remember what is true. Turn from the way of the wicked. Delight in the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord. Follow him on the way of the righteous. And you will know true prosperity, true flourishing, true life. Let's pray together.
Father, you have cast a vision in your word of what true prosperity looks like. And Lord, it looks like delighting in your word. And it looks like delighting in the man who delighted in your word perfectly. So Lord, I pray that we would find our refuge in him alone and we would walk with him on the way of the righteous. It's a way of suffering, it's a way of pain, but Lord, it's a way of life-giving streams of water from your word. It's a way of eternal flourishing, eternal success, eternal fruitfulness, not because of our perfect ability, but because of his. So Lord, may we delight in him, and may we delight in your law. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.